Uh, you're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and community radio uh, partners, and possibly on the podcast in outer space as well. Uh, we have a uh, we had a last-minute uh, studio shift today, so it was a bit of a scramble last minute, so mm. apologize. Apologize for that. Uh, oh, good. Uh, our technical team is doing the best they can. Well, the well, the, I feel like I feel like it's unfair to blame our technical team given the given the given our given our move. Uh, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Oh, like, oh, she's, she, uh, our technical team of one person. Yes, our single, t- our, is, our huge technical team is of doing the best she can <laughs> to deal with things that are not her fault. Yes, that's uh, the full version. Yes, you were swarmed by a gaggle of women. That's right. <laughs> that's a, that's for the bonus show. St- uh, <laughs> Dave goes. But the uh, but yes, the, the 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 joys of being on campus. Um, but uh, but yeah, we have had a huge uh, huge show. Uh, that's the word I'm going to go for. <laughs> Huge um, and mostly distressing mm. is the is the two parts of it. But a a, a fun uh, a, a a thing that I've, maybe a first maybe a show is first in the middle section, which I will which I will hold off uh, explaining exactly what it'll be until until later. But uh, but yeah, a a a, f- a future and. And in first for the show that begins uh, at the break, mm. uh, but but we're going to start off with with some news that that actually began last Friday, uh, and and then didn't fully, but we didn't have enough time to sort of digest it. That's no. how we'll say. Uh, and so and so we've now digested it a little bit, and, and it, it is the it is the United States uh, every four years releases this uh, epic. Uh, report mm, mm. about about how much climate change will infect in, in, impact the United States and in spoiler alert it's a lot mm. um, and and so so Dave what is uh, what is the news yes so the United States Global Change Research Program Stefan was established in 1989 and mandated by Congress the following year to develop and coordinate quote a comprehensive and integrated United States research program which will assist the nation and the world to understand assess predict and respond to human-induced and natural processes of global change. They were charged, once underway, with putting out a national climate assessment every four years, which, one, integrates, evaluates, and interprets the findings of the program and discourses, and discusses the scientific uncertainties associated with such findings. Two, analyzes the effects of global change on the natural environment, agriculture, energy production and use, land and water resources, transportation, human health and welfare, social systems and biological diversity. And three, analyzes current trends in global change, both human-induced and natural, and projects major trends for the subsequent 25 to 100 years. The program, as Stefan just mentioned, has now put out its fourth such assessment, released on Black Friday of this year, with a cover page photograph of a mountain in Montana gone entirely up in flames. The report is less elegant and more urgent than the previous one released in 2014 under the Obama administration. The beginning of 2014 assessment read, quote, Climate change, once considered an issue for a distant future, has moved firmly into the present. Corn producers in Iowa, oyster growers in Washington State, and maple syrup producers in Vermont are all observing climate-related changes that are outside of recent experience. So, too, the coastal planners in Florida, water managers in the, in the arid southwest, city dwellers from Phoenix to New York, and native peoples on tribal lands from Louisiana to Alaska. The 2018 assessment begins, quote, Earth's climate is now changing faster than any point in the history of modern civilization, primarily as a result of human activities. The impacts of global climate change are already being felt in the, in the United States and are projected to intensify into the future. But the severity of future impacts will depend largely on actions taken, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and to adapt to the changes that will occur. 
The reports then go on to present a very similar set of problems and measures that governments, citizens, and organizations across the U.S. are already taking to address them, and what future measures could be introduced. The 2018 report, however, increases in severity and bluntness of speech and is constantly in defense of the veracity of climate science, going so far as to explain and defend the scientific method itself, stating the very obvious fact that indeed, the complex nature of climate science means that 100% certainty is in every calculation, uh, in every calculation is impossible, but that uncertainty is a universal human experience, and we don't therefore reject the best rational models we have of the world. May, may I, sorry, this is a, an area of interest for me. I want to interject just briefly. The entire concept of science rests on the concept that there is no such thing as certainty. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to emphasize that mm-hmm. because the, the author did not go that extra mile. Oh, they <laughs> Carry do. Carry on. <laughs> oh, they go the extra mile. Oh, do, do they? Do they? Okay. I just, you know, I just, I often, uh, scientists are so prone to soft peddling. I just, mm. I feel the need, but oh, by all means, I'm sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> Well, uh, the report reads, quote, the assumption that current and future climate conditions will resemble the recent past is no longer valid. The warming trend observed over the past century can only be explained by the effects of that human activities, especially emissions of greenhouse gases, have had on the climate. The report goes so far as to make use of italics in the middle of a paragraph to emphasize the point that, quote, the evidence of human-caused climate change is overwhelming and continues to strengthen, that the impacts of climate change are intensifying across the country and that climate-related threats to Americans' physical, social, and economic well-being are rising. These impacts are projected to intensify, but how much they intensify will depend on actions taken to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions and to adapt to the risks from climate change now and in the coming decades. They also state, quote, greenhouse gas emissions from human activities are the only factors that can account for the observed warming over the last century. There are no credible alternative human or natural explanations supported by the observational evidence. Without human activities, the influence of natural factors would alone, alone would have had a slight cooling effect on global climate over the last 50 years. In comparing the science of 2018 to that of 2014, the report notes significant advances in our access to localized information, knowledge of human influence, effects of atmospheric circulation, impacts to ocean and coastal waters, ice changes, impacts to the economy, and our understanding of the increasing potential for future surprises. On the other hand, I saw snow on the ground yesterday. <laughs> mm. But yes, you're right. They do. I mean, they do in, in the section where they are defending the, in the section where they're defending the scientific method itself. <laughs> you, should, you should give it a look because it's quite it's quite strange that they feel the need to mm-hmm. put this special section about how we should believe science in general. But anywho, the new assessment is dire in its list of impending climate related problems. Saren, mm-hmm. citing declining outdoor recreation opportunities, lost labor hours, water shortages, lower quality water groundwater depletion, extreme heat, flash droughts, bigger wildfires and longer wildfire seasons, more intense and longer-lasting hurricanes and storms, flooding caused by increased precipitation but also higher tides, landslides, coral bleaching, drier soil, soil erosion, food scarcity, smaller harvests, crop disease and pest outbreaks, risks to energy and transportation infrastructure, increased maintenance costs, community relocation, the exacerbation of existing social and economic inequalities, shrinking snow cover, shrinking glaciers and shrinking sea ice, thawing permafrost, rising sea levels, ocean acidification, warming oceans, toxic algae blooms, ecosystem degradation, species migration, increase of invasive species, species extinction, biodiversity loss, loss of wildlife, air pollution, increased risk of illness and death, increased severity of allergic responses and sicknesses like asthma and hay fever, deterioration of physical and mental health, increased exposure to waterborne and foodborne diseases, 
property loss, economic recession, higher energy prices, blackouts, damage to military assets, increased volatility of international trade and supply chains, fuel shortages, and the compounded unpredictability and the compounded unpredictability of these completely inter, of these complexly interconnected problems, and the cascading effects they may have on one another. Words have started for a lot less. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. That seems. That seems so manageable, though. This is, and this is just what's listed in the report. Well, and I was gonna. I was actually gonna say counterpoint. Uh, my non-winterized uh, cottage, I can now visit all year round, mm. which I may need to do because I may be foraging for food and probably unemployed. Quite possible. <laughs> Get a job, Sarah. The report concludes that current policies will lead to utterly catastrophic warming, as well as hundreds of billions of dollars lost with an economic shrinkage of at least 10% by the end of the century for the United States. It recommends comprehensive emissions reductions targets, which can have immediate benefits both economic and social, and notes that effective adaptation strategies can enhance equity and social welfare. Quote, effective adaptation can also enhance social welfare in many ways that can be difficult to quantify, including improving economic opportunity, health, equity, national security, education, social connectivity, and sense of place, while safeguarding cultural resources and enhancing environmental quality. Interestingly, the report notes, quote, in some areas, lack of historical or current data to inform policy decisions can be a limitation to assessments of vulnerabilities and or effective adaptation planning. In many instances, relying on indigenous knowledges is among the only current means of reconstructing what has happened in the past. As Robinson Mayer notes for The Atlantic, the assessment, quote, which is endorsed by NASA, NOAA, the Department of Defense, and 10 other federal scientific agencies, contradicts nearly every position taken on the issue by President Donald Trump. It is also, quote, a huge achievement for American science, representing cumulative decades of work from more than 300 authors. Many of the authors were not warned that it would be released on Black Friday, which was weeks earlier than planned, with one author telling The Atlantic, quote, there was no explanation or justification. The leadership implied the timing was being dictated by another entity, but did not say who that was. In an interview with Democracy Now!'s Amy Goodman, Bill McKibben stated, quote, We've been getting this warning for many years. What is finally happening, I think, is that the country is beginning to pay some attention. The Trump administration tried to bury this by putting it out on Black Friday, but it didn't work very well in part because the report came right on the heels of the catastrophic fires in California. Clearly, we can no longer stop global, global warming. What we can do, perhaps, if we work with real diligence at this point, is limit it to no worse than what than it has to get, limit it to the point where it doesn't undermine the stability of our civilizations. But that's an open question, whether we can still do that and whether we will do it. It will take enormous effort. On the efforts to wrest power from the fossil fuel industry, he stated, quote, We're past $7 trillion in portfolios and endowments that have divested in part or in whole from fossil fuel companies. Shell Oil said earlier this year that divestment had become a material risk to its business. This is good news. We need to pressure the fossil fuel companies because, ultimately, until their political power is broken, the chances of moving quickly, uh, as quickly as we need to move are nil. That's why movements like 350.org push it so hard. Indeed, the report notes, quote, Integration of climate adaptation into decision processes has begun in many areas, including financial risk planning, capital investment planning, engineering standards, military planning, and disaster risk management. And yet, the party in power still does not take it seriously. Republican Rick Santorum went on television recently and stated that climate scientists were, quote, in it for the money. In response, climate scientist Christy Ebay told A.B. Goodman, quote, We are volunteers. We are paid nothing to work on the report. We are also paid nothing to work on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Reports. 
They, these are our nights, our weekends, and our family vacations, where we work on this material because it's important for people to understand the state of the science. When asked about the report, President Donald Trump stated, quote, I've seen it, I've read some of it, and it's fine. That's we're, a lie. Right he's now, never re- I'm not convinced he's read two words in his life. <laughs> right now, we're the cleanest we've ever been. <laughs> and that's very important to me. But if we're clean and every other place on the earth is dirty, that's not so good. So I want clean air. I want clean water. Very important. I, there's... There was a pause for a, <laughs> for a for a second just to let the, that entirely thing sink, sink in. Um, there's there's such a disconnect in, in I think the the response this kind of response that, that Trump sort of states. The, what, what, part of my question, and, and this is sort of the way he speaks more generally, is just this idea that like if we're clean and everyone else is dirty, that's not good. That's not so good. Like that's not good generally, but still, you're still get to be clean in that scenario, and so that would still be better for you. Like I, even in this scenario, he's somehow managing to like skip over what he's implying, which is like I don't want to. You d- um, he did his bad argument badly. Yeah. Well, well like in his, his full quote, in, uh, his full quote, or, or, or let's just say later, I believe he also just straight up says, "I don't believe it," uh, to reporters. So you know that's he doesn't where we believe stand. that the economy is at risk. Well, because he's yeah, very he's smart. No, exactly. Well, he knows. He's been he's been doing these things forever, right? Um, but I want to segue uh, into some positive news uh, f- uh, f- from this sort of report because, like, I, I'm not sure if there's any. I'm not sure if we can really add any further insights to the the level of comprehension that this report manages to put out in regards to the true risk of climate change. You know, if you want to sort of get a sense of at least what this faces America with climate change, you're not going to get much better than this kind of report, right? It's incredibly in depth. Uh, it is. It goes point by point. It, it includes. It includes some things. It, it includes the whole whole gamut, including like there. I believe Dave, you mentioned to me that there are some parts of it that actually state things like, actually, this will be this will be better for like you'll get some longer working hours in some places, uh, but then that will be offset by how much heat uh, in. <coughs> That like certain does. transportation might be easier in right. certain places because of melting sea ice and fewer cool um, cold related deaths would occur, but those are offset by the growing number of heat related deaths. Yeah, and so this is like this is a very comprehensive report. You know, it's not it's not out to just scare; it is out to just give people the best idea they possibly could be. And in terms of their localized, the they mentioned that they've uh, increased their ability to. Uh, um, collect local uh, local information, right? And so they have regional. Uh, um, assessments and so forth yeah and so 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 to segue off that because i do think like if you want you know read a couple articles about this or just you know one article about this um or just re-listen to that incredibly long list of thing of, of problems that dave read earlier uh and you'll get a good sense of where we stand but i think uh what's interesting to me right now uh is that is that i i i do think the bill kibben is right in, in in what you quoted that people are feel like they're sort of listening more now Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think that we're, I'm experiencing, um, at least from, from my vantage point, which obviously is within a set of places where I'm seeing, you know, I, I get notifications when most uh, things about climate happen. Um, but from that perspective, uh, it, even then, I do believe that it's like that maybe this threat is beginning to sink in or perhaps maybe rising to the surface or something. Like, I can't remember a time um, when there has been so many different pushes that cli- on climate change at the same time. In the past, there's been sort of the climate movement has usually had one thing it's been doing. You know, it's had it's had the People's Climate March or it's or it's had or it's had COP or it's, you know, and it's had in the, the everyone has gone to those places. And what's interesting in the state we're in right now is we're actually seeing a much wider breadth of actions. 
you know, within the last couple of weeks, a citizens' climate lobby lobby successfully got a, a bipartisan carbon fee and dividend uh, bill introduced to the House. Now, that will not pass the Senate, uh, but I think it's a good it is a good sort of indicator of where they might want to be going. Carbon dividend bill, uh, fee and dividend, yeah. So that's that, that that is the that's what their whole thing is. They're all citizens' climate lobby does is try to get basically a price on carbon where the where the money that that you pick up from the carbon goes back to people directly. Mm-hmm. That's their that's their whole thing. A quick aside on that as well is that part of the idea there is that often, uh, particularly in the American system, I know I know this is um, very common strategy that's used, which is that <clears throat> if you hold a position on an issue that there, there really isn't a pressing need, like nothing's happening that's forcing your hand. Um, you what you try and do is that you like you even Republicans are aware of the fact that like people don't agree with them right so getting the most people to think you agree with them is optimal and so if you can avoid taking a vote on something it's sort of it's a way of avoiding to be on the record so that when you go to run you can say well Steve Johnson you know hates immigrants and maybe he, there's a couple statements but if he never sponsors like it, it it's a lot more of a step to say what well, he actually signed off and voted for a bill that does whatever against immigrants right so the purpose of this and the, and the value of what citizens climate lobby is doing is, is getting people on the record it's putting their name in ink next to saying i'm using my authority as a politician to put my name forth for this thing or against this thing and it's a very underappreciated strategy i just wanted to, to highlight that yeah and and it also and, and if they can get it. It is bipartisan right now, so they do have some Republicans who are who are who are co-sponsoring this bill, mm. um, and and so and so the yeah. So there's a there's I have some some scary parts in the Senate specifically that Joe Manchin might end up being uh, might end up being put put a position of power on energy. But anyways, um, that is a good news. Uh, and that is a thing that happened with this week. And in in most contexts, that would be some maybe the the, the number one news. That'd be you know the the sin. The, the sin. Um, but at the same time, the sunrise sunrise movement uh, and the new progressive Congress members uh, have managed to get the Green New Deal into public lexicon. You know, there's conversations about that happening all across the United States right now. Um, and a lot of the young new progressive con- Congress people are 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 leading that charge uh, along with you know in 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 conjunction with the Sunrise Movement and using the fact that they are sort of now mini celebrities as Congress people to to bring more attention to this. And if they can get a Green New Deal into into the 2020 uh, Democratic platform, then I would say that may be our our greatest hope for. For, for getting through this, I think. Um, the, and, and, and while that, and that would also be a huge news normally, you know, that would also be like a, a pretty galvanizing conversation. But at the same time, we're also experiencing this thing called the children across the world are joining for uh, hashtag Fridays for Future, which is their climate strike, which began with a 15-year-old activist, uh, Greta Thunberg, um, or at least, at least she was one of the earlier activists. I'm, I shouldn't say begin because I'm not 100% certain about that. Um, but uh, but we basically started just taking, fr- basically taking striking on Fridays. Fridays. Uh, I think it's once a month, or it changes maybe different where you're at. But like, and it's managed to grow across the world. I believe there's one planned in in, in Ontario or Canada for the seventh of December. Um, I know Australia. There was a huge, uh, a pretty pretty wide walkout of kids in Australia for how much inaction they've been taking. Mm. Um, and and so all of these things have been uh, have a have a. He's a high school student just leaving school. Exactly. Yeah, demanding that they're demanding that they're. That their leaders do more, uh, and that then their high schools do more. Or their governments, their governments do more. Mm. Yeah, uh, you know, fifty thousand people marched in the streets of Montreal a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, and have really actually pushed the climate change agenda into uh, into and onto the 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 example that is. Uh, that is their new premier. Like the premier sort of came out actually with a quite strong statement on climate change. The Quebec premier. The Quebec premier. Yeah, yeah, despite the fact that he's a little more right wing, he actually came out uh, mm. relatively strongly on that. Now, 
everything is everything is speech until it's action. But you know, it was clearly that that at least their message was heard. And right now, uh, which we hope to get to be able to do a live call in uh, using the hashtag Youth Rising, young people are occupying liberal constituents' offices across uh, across Canada right now. I believe it's in four in, in four different constituent offices, including McKenna and Trudeau. Uh, and that's what we're going to try to get to uh, as a first time. I think we've I don't know, I don't think I've ever called into a live protest uh, previously. Uh, we're going to try to do that after the break. Uh, but for right now, uh, we are going to go to our music break uh, and. And then we'll come back with that. And then we'll talk about Doug Ford's climate plan. Uh, And then we'll round up with some trying to clear up a bit of our confusion around uh, what's going on with Alberta oil uh, and Mm -hmm. probably get even more confused. That's the whole plan. Uh, But, Megan, uh, what do we got for this music break? Why should I have to be the brave one and tell you it's fine for change? And we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here at CIT 89.5 FM, our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, as well as the listeners to our podcast, who we like 0.01% more. <laughs> Fact. Not Just Fact. Fact. 0.01%. Mainly because you Fact. could be in space. Uh, you could be in space and we can track you with yeah. analytics. That's true. Yes. We do love analytics here. Um, but we are, I believe we are on the line with Lauren. Yes, you are. Hello, and and this is I. So that I can now confirm. I, I believe this is the first time we have called into a pr- to a protest, uh, and so uh, a that's exciting for us. We're doing we're breaking news immediately. Uh, it's so rare <laughs> that happening. it's so rare that news happens over the one hour that we broadcast live, uh, and so whenever in it ten does, years it's happened twice, <laughs> yeah. and this is two. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it's always exciting. Um, and so please uh, let us know uh, where are you and what's up. Yeah. So um, I calling in today from uh, Minister Catherine McKenna's constituency office in Ottawa. Um, so not the one on the hill, but the one that um, is like as, as just like her regular MP office. Um, and we're here today as part of a distributed day of action uh, with a number of other sort of youth organizations uh, currently across the country. Right now there are sit-ins happening in Halifax, Toronto, Montreal, this one here in Ottawa, and I believe um, a group just began occupying a space in, um, in Edmonton at uh, one of their MPs' offices there. And we're basically here, um, obviously, just sort of like demanding strong action on climate. Uh, so what that specifically means for us right now is um, we're asking uh, each of our MPs to read aloud a series of kind of demands or principles in um, in the House of in the House of Commons. Um, so the first one is. Uh, Lauren, is uh, sorry, Lauren, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Can I can I actually just ask you to uh, you're you're speaking very quickly. If I can just ask you to oh. take a breath, please. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> Thanks. Not normally is. Not normally as chill as I am on uh, on Friday morning, but um, but yeah. So sorry, we're we're in our minister's offices. We're asking them to read aloud a series of demands in um, in the house. Uh, and the first one is that we want um, a transition to uh, 100% renewable energy by 2030, and um, and in doing so, uh, commit to uh, developing at least uh, one million climate jobs. The second demand is that uh, we want um, full implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And then the third demand is that we want um, a halt of all fossil fuel infrastructure expansion, um, basically just keeping oil in the ground. Uh, and um, oh, and for uh, our climate plan to be in line with a 1.5C uh, target. Um, so yeah, so that's why we're here today. Um, and we plan on being here until we make some sort of contact with the minister and a promise that she will read those demands aloud. 
So yeah, that was, so that was, you, you anticipated the next question, which is, uh, <laughs> what's the response been? Have they have, have you managed to get in touch with anyone? Or are they are you still waiting to hear back? Her staff is super receptive. They're really lovely people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just want to put that out there. Staff are really fantastic. Um, we've been told that she won't meet with us today, um, but I believe the group is sort of negotiating with her staff right now to to see if we can set up a a, a live stream or a call. Um, because yeah, the plan is that we're not going to leave. And, and until you at least speak with her, and and how are the how are the are you hearing from the other uh, the other locations? How is how is everyone doing across the uh, across the nation? Yeah, um, people seem to be doing well, uh, holding their own. Uh, only only seeing happy faces and smiles so far on the social media feeds. Um, uh, I think as of yet, the only update I've heard in terms of of touching base is that uh, Justin Trudeau has been informed of. Um, the action happening in Montreal because they're in his constituency office. But other than that, I haven't heard any updates in terms of contact being made with MPs. And 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 so if people wanted to get uh, to keep to keep to sort of st- keep involved and keep watching and paying attention even after we we go off air, how can they uh, how can they maintain uh, connection with this uh, with this movement? That's a great question. Um, so if people want to follow the hashtag Youth Rising. Um, on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, there's a series of live streams that have been happening um, in all the different sit-ins over the last few hours. Um, I think right now Halifax is up and Montreal's and ours. Uh, if people want to sort of catch 10 to 20 minute updates on what's been going on. Um, and yeah, by searching that hashtag, they'll see a ton of different tweets and Instagram posts with updates as well. Um, and I think there might be some sort of like traditional media coverage coming out of Montreal as well. I think they might have had a camera from CTV there. So if listeners in Montreal tune into the nightly news, they might see an update there. Excellent. Lauren, I'm just curious really quickly, um, like who's there? And by by which I mean, are, are all of you paid by insidious international uh, <laughs> organizations that are trying to tear down Canada or only some of you? <laughs> Actually, yeah, we are. We are entirely funded by George Soros. <laughs> I was going to totally say, but I wasn't sure the listeners would know that reference. Actually. Uh, so I'm joking in case anyone's not with the record here. Uh, but but yeah. serious question, who's there? Yeah. Um, so the group that's here in Ottawa right now, um, it's, it's a group of uh, young people. Um self-identifying as youth. Uh, we're a grassroots organization that's kind of come together the last few months in Ottawa. Uh, we call ourselves Climate Justice Ottawa. Um, yeah, uh, we're basically, we're, some of us are students, some of us are folks that are working in the labor force. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all, all young people uh, demanding, demanding action on climate. Uh, it's about a half a dozen of us here right now in, in Ottawa. And and I see and I'm, I, I believe if I'm uh, if I'm correct in this, it, what's interesting about this is that it's it's a, each group who's having this action seems to be almost from a different position. I believe it's Devest Dow that is that is doing it in Halifax, um, and so it seems as if it's this is interesting in that it is youth focused across the board, but but there's no particular organization that sort of seems to be the one that's sort of doing the whole thing. It seems to be quite dispersed. Yeah, yeah, it is. There is no sort of one one big org that's overseeing everything. This was like. We use the term grassroots so loosely anymore, but like this really was a grassroots organize like or uh, effort in the sense that yeah, there is no one big organization who's sort of overseeing everything. Um, we're, we're seeing support from organizations like 350 and Council of Canadians in terms of, of retweeting and, and helping us out with um, with web platform stuff. Uh, there's a there's a oh wait, I totally forgot. There's a click to call option um, if people listening at home want to show their support and get in touch with their MPs and encourage them to read aloud the demands. Um, if you go to the Council of Canadians website, um, there's currently a super easy click-to-call uh, web page set up. So you press a button and it dials your MP's phone number for you and you can get in touch with them that way. Yeah. 
And if anyone there wants to send a tweet with polite uh, information or comments in it and tag the Green Majority, we'd be happy to retweet that. You, you can feel free to pass that to your colleagues. There. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll pass that message along. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so any so before because because we, you have to get back to uh, to the to, to hopefully getting a hold of McKenna. Uh, just want to give you a chance to any last words before we sort of before we uh, before we let you go. Um, nothing too, nothing too groundbreaking, but, um, but yeah, if, if listeners are eager to throw their support behind it, um, there are those ways you can follow the hashtag youth rising to, to keep up with the news, um, and go to the council of Canadians website for that click to call to get in touch with your MPs and express your support, um, for reading those demands in the house and, uh, and yeah, stay tuned for more updates throughout the day. Amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. You folks have a great day. You do. Can are do we are we chatting now? Do we have time to chat? I have so uh, many things to. to we say, have time to chat. I do have a I have I have a specific segue into our next story as well. Though. Oh, go, go um, on. Though. I can go okay. back to my. I, I just I had a thought about something she said, but I can come back. To okay. Because so uh, well, because the segue is is that I think it's important to to highlight um, what the importance of what's currently going on in these in the scenarios. Because I think right now, especially as we enter into the next election, we're experiencing this sort of like this divergence between. You know the conservative party that basically has decided to to come out against the carbon tax or any pressing carbon and, and just and, and just their entire mantra appears to be just hating this uh, and 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 coming as close to denying climate change as you can. Some members are just straight up denying climate change, but uh, as you can without without sort of with, while towing that line. Um, and then the liberals are sort of seen as 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 sort of like you know we are actually trying to carry on some sort of carbon price and moving forward. So and then and and of course. You know, those of us uh, who pay attention to this thing understand sort of the many failings of the Liberal Party. But I think that's the overarching narrative that's coming forth. And I want to point out one very quick thing before we get into the story about Doug Ford's climate plan, which is that the the weakness of the current Canadian climate Paris Accord um, is and, and the fact that sort of the idea always is it will ramp up. It will get better. We are you know getting towards this plan is the messaging we keep hearing from the Liberal Party. Um, but the fact that it is so weak is providing ample amounts of cover for truly disastrous climate plans, uh, like like the one that we are about to cover in Doug Ford's. Like the like the, the the fact that the fact that this plan, like this this the fact that Doug Ford's climate plan opens up the way it does, which is basically saying we're basically already there, we're done, is because is is because it, they've given the cover of the very weak targets that are being set currently by the by the by the federals, and so so what we need is the federal government to realize that just because they have to sort of keep this whole thing in place. Even if they know they plan on ramping it up, their current messaging is being used by the people who very much want to undermine what they're doing. Um, and so with that, I segue to Doug Ford's comp plan, which was announced yesterday, uh, and spoiler alert, is not very good. Yes. So as you stated, Doug Ford's conservative government uh, in Ontario did release its climate plan yesterday, which was November 29th, 2018. Uh, the report, which I have not read, but, but which I'm assuming Stefan has given a look through. I have read. Uh, Stefan has read it. Is reportedly aiming to reduce Ontario's greenhouse gas emissions by 30% below 2005 levels by 2030, in agreement with the Paris Accord. The province has already reduced its 2005 emissions by 22%, largely from the closing of coal plants. Um, having already axed the carbon trading market that Kathleen Wynne's Liberals had implemented, which was generating a billion dollars a year for green initiatives. And having sacrificed millions of dollars in foreign investment in renewable energy projects in Ontario, 
the Doug Ford government is now pledging $400 million over four years to give to companies who can develop clean tech and to auction contracts to companies who can provide the cheapest way to reduce emissions. Environment Minister uh, Rod Phillips stated, quote, It's a plan that represents a clean break from the status quo, and it's a plan that balances a healthy environment and a healthy economy. He added, quote, The situation in Ontario is very different from the situation in Alberta or New Brunswick because our electricity sector and our grid is almost 100% green. Ontario Green Party leader Mike Schreiner stated, quote, This isn't a carbon plan. This, uh, this isn't a climate plan. And Federal Environment Minister Catherine McKenna stated, quote, I think Canadians understand that it shouldn't be free to pollute. The CBC reports that when asked about how Ontario uh, would reduce its emissions without carbon pricing, Rod Phillips said, quote, I put the question back to all proponents of carbon taxation. How can they be focused on just one solution when we're dealing with something this complicated? Are they dedicated to a carbon tax or are they dedicated to real action on climate change and reducing greenhouse gases? I hate everything. Mostly this. Mm. Um, so let me just let me just be, I, 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 I run around a little bit into the next me section because there is a lot to cover here. Um, and so just apologies if you're really expecting a music break at 1140, it'll become a little later. Uh, but let's start with the fact that if you open up this climate plan, the very first thing it does is go in extensive detail about how much emissions have already been reduced by the Liberal government. They take all of the credit. It's mm. like Ontario has already done so much, and it goes into and that's it, why we should stop. Basically, like, that's <laughs> the other, like it's like this thing mentions litter all many almost as many times as it mentions carbon. Like if the the plan actually includes a entire section about litter, like this is not a carbon plan. It it, it is and and all of the suggestions um, are basically just much 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 worse versions of. Uh, of what already exists. And and just to highlight, a, 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 I'm just going to actually run down a couple of the things that just need to be mentioned here. First, uh, the original plan that, that Wynn was running, that, that, that the Wynn government and sort of the Liberal government previously had been planning was a 37% reduction of 1990 levels. They are switching this to the Paris Agreement uh, plan, which is 30% of 2005 levels. Mm -hmm. And 2005 is an incredibly bad year to use as your benchmark. It's right before the great it's right before the recession and so it is the highest we it's basically the highest point you could choose. It's the way that Stephen, Harper it's almost like it's intentional. Well, exactly. It's the way that Harper pretended that over ten over his five years from 2005, he actually reduced emissions. When actually, what happened is it cratered, and then slowly was going back up. Right? Like it's it's lying with graphs. Um, and so and so, to the, the use of 2005 is in, is inherently very problematic. Uh, point three. Uh, this is 400 million dollars over four years, um, which is basically 100 million dollars a year. Which I believe mostly has to come in in being matched by other by other funding. So it's a way that someone else can spend money and they can give some money back. But it's okay because they're getting all that revenue from the. Oh wait a minute. Well, exactly. You know, just, that's coming from that's, that's coming from our regular taxes. This uh, compared <laughs> to the billion dollars or, or more that we had each year going into this in, into, into this plan uh, went with an actual revenue tool attached to it. So what Ontarians should be asking themselves is, do I feel like I've gotten an eight hundred million dollar improvement in services? <laughs> yes, like well in the last three months 
and, and well, and then and then everything that's planned here is is directly attached to things they got rid of. So they have a lot. have a part of this that costs, but increased availability and accessibility of energy reduction information is one of the big highlights they have here, uh, and that is their replacement for the Green Ontario Act, uh, the Green on, Green on, which was actual money incentives to do this work. Right? They've they've switched it to be like, well, just let people know how roughly easier it is instead of actually providing value. They have this. Un- complete and completely unspecific action on waste diversion uh, instead of uh, as their way they're going to protect waterways instead of having an environment commissioner you know like this is like this is a complete gutting and they're at, and, and, and the entire thing acts as if it's sort of like they're redoing these all these things but all the things they're doing is like at almost zero level wait they fired the commissioner and replaced them with what with basically this call for action on waste reduction. I hear their, their, their section on protecting waterways is mostly just about So they replace the commissioner with a paragraph. Ba- a couple paragraphs. Well, I was going to say, I think uh, uh, I hear St- uh, Scott Pruitt's looking for work. So, yes. Like, the, <laughs> the, they, they have a whole section on encouraging the use of energy vehicles, despite the fact that they just canceled all rebates for energy, for electric energy vehicles, electric vehicles. Like, this is, this is a, they're directly counter like everything they cut they're now it's saying almost, they're going to support stefan it's almost like and i know i i feel crazy saying this but it's almost like there's a war on the car <laughs> yes the uh almost, almost not quite almost um i i, I want to I, I want to read the very the, i think it's the very one of the very first lines sort of describing what this plan is uh just because it it, it is made me so mad uh <laughs> ontario's proposed made in ontario environment plan presents a new direction for addressing and the presenting pressing challenges we face to protect our air, land, and water, reduce litter and waste, build resiliency, and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. That's what reduced litter managed to make it in before greenhouse gas emissions in your climate plan. Um, and they go on to say the plan will help people and businesses across Ontario take environmental action in ways that will also save them money, enhance their communities, create new jobs, and grow the economy. That second paragraph is actually exactly what the previous government's plans were doing. And like, if, however, if you put the word not in front of every one of those bullet points, it's totally accurate. Yeah, there's it is this this is not. There's just no action happening within this thing. And, and uh, the goal to say that this is a plan that is completely against the status quo is perhaps one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. This is basically the reversion to the status quo that was briefly broken for about a year and a half. Like the idea that having no price on carbon and letting, letting corporations do whatever they like and, and, and we made it like what they like is somehow new and, and against the status quo well, ignores pl- all of the past of society. It's because, and I mean this, Seriously, he he is uh, proposing. He I don't think for a second he thinks this, but he is trying to propose the concept that climate action is the status quo, which I would love it to be. Right, but like he, the, that's the rhetorical thing he's oh, yeah. doing. He's saying Justin Trudeau is the status quo. I right. am the rebel. Yeah, yeah, we're the rebel, let it, giving back to business. Where you know, I'm going to yeah. do something totally unprecedented. I'm going to support oil industry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the last thing I will say before throwing to music break um, is that there's one piece of this that I cannot stop harping on, and will not stop harping on until they stop doing it, uh, which is that conservatives will constantly go on about how a price on carbon is 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 not the right answer. Uh, and in, what's amazing is that even in this quote, he's sort of like, why is that, why, do they want a price on carbon or do they want carbon action? Uh, and, and what's amazing about that is that the reason why people have settled on price on carbon is because it's so complicated. It's a way to simplify the actual ask. 
And and a price on carbon is, of course, the most conservative solution to this problem. It's like, the business solution. You work at cost. You work on your overhead into your costs. And so the, that gets worked into the price. That That's like literally every right-wing politician who's ever said, I'm going to run the country like a business. That's exactly what you would do. That's what that means. Yeah, there, there would be. Like, <laughs> that's there, what running the country like a business means. There really, there really is not a more conservative solution to climate change than a price on carbon. Um, in, a, in, in a very fa- same fact that like if you tried to use the price on other things idea for almost any other thing we turn, currently regulate, it would be it would you you would realize how ridiculous it is. Um, and and you know what the conservatives want to do? They want to regulate. The conservative plan includes a includes and uh, quote we plan to regulate large emitters with a system that is tough but fair, cost effective and flexible. So this is this we're in a topsy turvy world where the <laughs> Ford government is promising to bring in regulation and red tape to these emitters instead of using a price on carbon that was that was that was already built into their system. This is truly a backwards world that they are living in if if their solution if they're arguing that the actual solution is a series of complicated and confusing regulation rather than a price on carbon and to me to me that that says two things either they are flip-flopping on their main core belief that the market should be allowed to do what it should do or they actually just know that these regulations will not do anything and they're trying not to do anything no what what it is is one or the other i uh, and this is me speaking in my doug ford voice uh, i know that ontarians are stupid and aren't paying attention and so i'm just going to say two things that are the complete opposite of one another because i know everyone is stupid and not paying attention and i'm just assuming that and i'm going to go ahead and serve my friends and do whatever i want so if you're out there and you're listening you're thinking hey i live in ontario and i'm not stupid well maybe you should call Doug Ford's office and tell him that because he thinks you are. He thinks you're dumb. He like, thinks you're incredibly stupid and can be fooled and fleeced for money. And that's what's happening. It's disgusting. And you need to call him and tell him that. The, the, there's just, there's just a world like, like uh, there's just, there's, there's a better world out there somewhere where the conservative side of this, you know, this country decides that pressing carbon is a reasonable way forward. There has to be. Uh, and I'm just waiting for the current batch of people to to leave and let the kids rule. Well, they're the rational ones. They'll do it for us. Yeah, exactly. Right? They're the, ra- yeah, they're, they're the calm, rational ones who are going to let us go Who was it that was going to keep, re- keep him reined in, though? Like, there was some people who oh, were going to, oh, well, no, no he's going to be all, causes. he's reined in. Yeah. But yeah. where are they? They're, they're, they're playing with reindeer, I guess. Well, I don't know. Whoa, Jesus, I'm sorry. Uh, we are... Earthquakes we, uh, yeah, in Earthquakes the in the studio. Uh, should indicate that we are running out of time on this section. That uh, was the subtle reminder. Yes, exactly. Subtly do a music break. So let's go to that uh megan what do we got but jesus ain't coming so don't waste your time not yours and not mine you're only dreaming and we're back you're listening to the green majority here on ciut 89.5 recently uh, in the business of breaking news that's true. Uh, somewhat. Uh, the, we, uh, we occasion, the occasionally, very occasionally breaking news uh, outlet. Uh, more often, comic We don't need to constantly mention the fact that we only very occasionally break news. <laughs> but so, it's right? so Should we just constantly It could just very talk easily be a regular thing for us. That's true. We could very easily present Our tagline is, you heard it here last, bust, but with the best comments. <laughs> That's uh, our tagline. Yeah, so speaking of breaking news, uh, or specifically news that happened in the last week and a half, uh, Dave. So, uh, those in power who uh, support the expansion of Alberta's tar sands, and specifically Alberta Premier Rachel Notley, have been for a long while publicly endorsing the idea that the price of Alberta's oil products, and therefore the entire Canadian economy, is being severely hindered by the lack of new pipeline infrastructure. 
Notley's claim, which is uh, supported by Trudeau's federal liberals, is that the Canadian economy is losing millions of dollars a day because Alberta's heavy oil is having to sell at a massive discount to American companies, whereas a pipeline like Trans Mountain would garner a much higher price for tar sands product by tripling our capacity to sell to world markets. Economist Robin Allen, however, argues in the National Observer that Notley's claim rests on a massive overstatement of just how many barrels of Alberta crude are subject to the discount, and on the false assumption that Trans Mountain would raise their price. Allen's analysis concludes that only about 20% of Alberta oil is subject to the discount, since oil companies are able to employ a variety of techniques to shield themselves from the differential, and that Trans Mountain itself will not raise prices. Allen writes, quote, Notley has frequently repeated this story uh, since last spring, when she started alarming the public, claiming that the heavy oil discount was costing the Canadian economy $15 billion a year, $40 million a day. That estimate was lifted from a report prepared by Scotia Bank, which is replete with errors and is a huge mistake to use that one report as the entire basis for any claim. Last week, Notley doubled the figure to $80 million a day and launched a Canada-wide campaign including a real-time revenue loss calculator located near Parliament Hill. Uh, Allen asked the Alberta government how the $80 million a day was calculated and was advised that Notley once again relied on the flawed Scotiabank report. When Allen asked Scotiabank about the problems with this report, they claimed that it was not meant to be taken as a cost-benefit analysis, even though that's exactly how the politicians were presenting it, and then they had no more time for her questions. Alan points out that this Gotta go. Alan points out that this scenario has been going on well before Notley and Trudeau, when in 2012 an industry an industry funded analysis from CIBC claimed that our economy was losing 50 million dollars a day because the Northern Gateway pipeline was not being built. She also points out that Enbridge is not even currently operating at 100 at 100% of its pipeline capacity. This is because Enbridge doles out its pipeline space at the beginning of every month based on figures from oil companies but the companies themselves are, lie, are lying about how many barrels they actually have to pump because they don't know how much they, they might be producing in that month and overstating their need will guarantee them enough space. Enbridge attempted to fix this problem in June, but industry players thwarted it of their own volition. So this particular capacity constraint is industry-created. What's more, Enbridge's replacement of Line 3, running from Alberta to Lake Superior, will be finished within a year and will increase capacity by another 800,000 barrels. Looking at how much crude will be produced over the next decade, Allen concludes that Trans Mountain, which Canadians have paid billions of dollars for, is a non-issue in terms of the price of oil. <clears throat> in, response, <clears throat> in response to Trudeau's parroting of the Notley claim that producers are forced to sell at a discount, Allen writes, quote, There is no forcing here. Nobody is making huge oil companies do anything. These companies are making Alberta and Ottawa do their bidding. Trudeau overpaid for an aging pipeline and the right to expand it so irresponsible producers can continue to exploit fossil fuels without constraint at a time when the world marketplace and global ecosystem is signaling it's time to stop. Now, <clears throat> Notley is asking us for more federal funds to support increased rail capacity for the tar sands. If she doesn't get them, she will buy new rail herself with Alberta's money. The Natural Resource Minister's press secretary told the National Observer that such measures will, quote, relieve the pain being felt by so many. Many premiers are also beginning to talk about reviving the Energy East pipeline that was abandoned last year. 
Meanwhile, pro-oil protesters are filling the streets of Calgary by the hundreds to display the pain and anger created by low oil prices purportedly caused by lack of pipeline capacity. They picketed a speech on Tuesday by Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau, who stated of the protesters, quote, They're not wrong at all. They're feeling extreme anxiety, which we completely understand. The industry is under threat. We're not getting market prices for our resources. And as a result, people aren't making the kinds of investments we want them to make. I wish for once, just once, environmental protesters would get that response. Mm. There, it, is, it is unbelievable how common... Even like even you know, I remember a couple months ago there was or a couple maybe a month or two ago there was the protest that was uh, that where the environmentalists protested the environmental conference in California, and even there their speakers were like only in America could you could, would environmentalists protest in environmental space, mm. yet where when it's oil when it, when it, when it is oil workers protesting that they no longer have their their quite lucrative jobs picketing a speech from Bill Morneau who's which is pro oil yes yeah. Um, his response is, they're right. They're, you know, that is, that is true. We, they do deserve this. And, and someone had a good, someone had a, had a, had a, had a good point recently about if you're, if your concern was that the federal government is not supporting the industry enough and buying a $4.3 billion pipeline that will probably end up costing seven point something billion dollars to actually twin if they ever actually succeed in doing that, that money could have been spent retraining that workforce into literally anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that decision was not made because we are still so consistently cowed by arguments like the one that Notley is currently making. I happen to know from my own personal life experience that there is a massive amount of need in the tech industry, and I can also attest to the fact that it is uh, fairly learnable. So if we're looking to employ thousands of people in short-term notice and high-demand jobs that pay well, gee, look no further. It currently happens the, that there is a deficit in highly skilled mm-hmm. technical workers, uh, which we could have these people employed in uh, good jobs in six months to a year the and and this is this is the thing right the thing is that somehow this particular type of job has become a a right you know let alone do do five-year-olds have a right to a future maybe do 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 oil workers have a right to be working in the oil field specifically? Apparently, and nowhere yes. else. And nowhere else. And f- and for a set amount of money, I might add. Oh, of course, you got to get paid. You gotta, they have kids to feed. Forget about the future of these children, uh, which is a well, deep irony. I, I don't want to get too far down a sidetrack, but these are the same like you know right to life uh, people that are advocate killing people. But and so it's like I'm just saying that this is like this is pretty stand- par for the course for these types of voters. With the leaders, voters. not with the people, not with like the, the people who are currently you know like I think there's true like what's interesting is. How are how how our society currently responds to the idea that losing jobs in an industry is somehow considered unbelievably devastating, but creating a world in which the kids that apparently these people have to look after is unlivable is just you know collateral damage. You know, and 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 if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we got very confused about why oil prices were the way in Alberta. Uh, this article from the National Observer does a pretty good job sort of breaking down all the different pieces of it. So if you want to, if you, you if you remember that 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 the conversation where none of us knew what we were talking about, uh, check out this article in the National Observer, and it's a little technical, but it will get you there. Uh, and it and it will and it, and it will highlight the fact that really what's happening here is that we are we are being told that that we could be spending this we, that we could be spending this for more and they're using this as an economic argument to push more. Wait, we're told that we could be we want. We're told that we're losing all this money that yeah, that we yeah. could be selling all this for more and that pipelines are the reason why not and that and that that's enough to rile up enough people to be coming and protesting you know the the the, the liberals in this in the setup and. 
it does it, it does strike me a little bit that if buying a pipeline doesn't win you votes in Alberta liberals, maybe give up. Yeah. Maybe just stop trying. I'm actually a big fan of Rachel Notley's sign. I hope she keeps it there. Uh, I, I love it. I love her sign because all we need is a sign right calculator. next to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, leave it there. Put big glowing Christmas lights on it because all we need is a little sign right next to it that says that is a ticker going up with the current estimated and future, if we don't do anything, cost of dealing with climate change. Mm. And it's going to make that number seem so tiny because it's several decimal places lower, several decimal places lower and increasing at a slower rate, even her fictitious number. So please, by all means, I'll, I'll help her pay for having that sign there if we just make that one small addition with the sign right next to it. Yeah, and and, and I think that this, to, to sort of try to wrap up the sort of three segments of the show and, and to sort of bring it all bring it all around, um, I would say that if there's one thing that this that this the show should sort of highlight is a we know what the problem is, you know uh, the 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 quite clearly the the report that was sent up by the conserv by the by the Trump government um, in the states obviously the Trump government didn't have a ton of control over it it was sent over every 4 years and so it's bureaucrats but like it was still submitted at the time of the Trump government pretty quite clearly shows the problem um, and and it's clear that we are actually that people are 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 tuned to it and are are mobilizing you know whether it's with the hashtag youth rising which you can keep checking out as it goes on today or whether it's the kids in in across the across kind of striking on Fridays um, or whatever I'm just gonna I'm just, as a side I'm gonna believe that all the kids strike on Fridays so they can listen to the show that's that's my new belief damn right uh, so thank you children uh, keep <laughs> listening um, but um, but so we clearly at this point have answers. And and what's interesting is that even with even even within the stories of uh, of, of the new climate plan that 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 Doug Ford has put out, it is there's no vision within that plan. That vision that plan has really just a commitment to status quo of of presuming that the most important thing and thing is 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 just keeping everything going in in sort of the track that it is to the extent in which there's no vision in where the future of the economy can go is which is why the gm plant closing in ontario is such a blow to ford because manufacturing has been so long like a thing that ontario is all about and now that our economy was successfully shifting towards clean energy and, and more and, and more tech side of things that sort of sort of ruins his uh his sort of notion of what is real ontario well, it's the same thing with all the, the subways hey we already invested millions of dollars we can't get back but i'm gonna cancel it anyway for no apparent reason yeah like like or, or we'll build it out to vaughn because why you know which is at vaughn but like the idea that he's going to keep building even further is 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 unbelievable but all of this to say let's all i have one ask for everyone which is let the kids lead the kid the, the 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 youth uh the, are the only people who seem to have a true grasp on what this is because i think it's the only one that's real for them you know the fact that rachel notley can get can, 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 can get elected and then still spend her time doing this is is unreal um and so Everyone should just take a step back, let the youth lead, because they're the only ones who seem to feel it right. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I believe that makes us out of time. Thank you so much for listening to uh, the Green Majority here, of course. And thanks again to our uh, fundraiser uh, uh, donors who uh, called in a few weeks ago. Uh, information, as usual, will be available on the website after the program. Thank you so much to Dave for all of those wonderful notes. And uh, a final quick note that we're going to have a couple of pre-recorded shows for you over the holiday for like the first time ever. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off. We have some great guests for you. So uh, good content coming uh, as well over the holidays. It will be uh, more up lifting simply by virtue of the fact that we will not be having new guests to talk about news. Yes. Uh, I think we'll be about it. So uh, aside from that, thanks so much for listening. Take care and we'll talk to you all real soon.